0: What up and welcome in. You're listening to another edition of The Sports Cafe. I am tonight's host, Adam Rosen, joined alongside the usual cast of t- characters. We've got Ian Gus, Mike Weil, and Mike Mandel in the house. Mike Weil, your Chicago Bears, 4 and 1, uh, half game behind the Green Bay Packers. You must be feeling good this week.
1: I'm feeling great. I'm shocked. But listen, a win's a win. We'll take it. Tom Brady forgot how many downs there were. So, any way we can get them 4 and 1, should be Carolina. So, Mike and uh I think Ian, both of you guys took the Bears. Well done.
0: And Mike Mandel, the Eagles with another tough loss and they fall to 1-3 and 1 in the season, but they're just a half a game out of first place.
2: Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm still in a position where I want them to tank because even if they win the division, it's not like they're going too far in the playoffs but nonetheless I mean it was good to see him put up a fight and especially looking at all the young guys that played who weren't even on the roster at the beginning of the season Um, it was a lot of fun to watch
0: and Ian your beloved Yanks dropped a tough five game series against the Rays are you finally over that loss or still feeling the effects
3: I mean, I'm I'm still disappointed. I think this year being what it was, and I know we'll get to it more later. But just with everything else going on, it maybe didn't hit me as hard with the shortened season. But uh, you know, losing it to a guy that got into a beef with Chapman, who was the difference maker, made it a little more difficult to to stomach. But uh, you know, I guess we're moving on. I don't know to what right? No, <laughs> no <laughs> hockey and no basketball and our NFL. Hot stove. Our I don't know, should probably be delegated to the minors if that was a thing. But, uh, you know, just keeping an eye on all the national storylines from here until, I guess, the 2021 baseball season.
0: MLB hot stove season. So we've got a lot to talk about on today's show. We've got some NBA finals. The Lakers, of course, won the NBA finals in six games of the Miami Heat, their 17th franchise championship, uh, tying the Boston Celtics for most in NBA history. LeBron James, of course, wins his fourth title in ten tries. Um, we'll talk a little bit of NFL, some great storylines from Week Five. Uh, we'll we'll recap last week's picks, and then lastly, we'll close with baseball. We'll we'll give a little bit more in-depth breakdown of that great Rays-Yankees series. We'll talk about the League Championship Series. Although to be honest, uh, looks like both of those series may be over pretty quickly. Um, and then we'll wrap up with our final thoughts. So. I'm going to start with the NBA. Uh, as I mentioned, the Lakers winning it. LeBron, the unanimous MVP. And this ends the, uh, the second uh, bubble play, uh, postseason, if you will. The NHL wrapped up a successful bubble season. And then the NBA uh, was able to make it through with zero positive tests. So really, a hats off to the NBA. They pulled it off. The quality of play was, was really strong. The players were all into it. Um, but guys, I guess now that we've had a chance to reflect on the entirety of the season uh, I want to know what your most memorable moment from the NBA bubble is and Mike Medell I'll start with you what stood out to you most from the NBA bubble it could be a particular game a player um, the, the social justice uh, movement what, what what stood out to you
2: so so first off I, I suppose it's my turn to finally eat some crow on the Miami Heat because for once I was wrong about predicting that they would win this series um, to my credit I got him right three out of four times and two of those times uh, they were the underdogs, but I, I think you know. Having said that, what stood out the most was the way that they demolished the Bucks. I expected them to beat the Bucks. I didn't expect them to destroy them. And when I watched that series, you look at Giannis and Middleton, who were supposed to be the leaders of the Bucks, and they simply looked flat-footed. In fact, the the one game that they won is when Giannis got injured. So I, I think to me, there's two storylines here: a) how dominant the Heat were, and you know how nobody seemed to take him seriously until potentially after they beat the bucks and I think they've got a bright future ahead of them given all their young talent with uh, with Tyler hero and, and Bam and even Robinson isn't all that old and but on, on the you know on the latter side I think people are going to be seriously doubting the bucks going forward no matter how they could do in the regular season until they could prove that they can succeed in the playoffs um, I, I I don't think that they're gonna be um, doing as well in the odds uh, come the beginning of the season.
0: Well, Mike, I guess you kind of get a pass in the sense that Bam out of bio missed a couple games and Goran Dragic, of course, missed most of the series. So if those guys were healthy, do you think that the Heat would have won the series or did it really not make a difference?
2: Uh, You know, I'm I'm one of those that that says that injuries can never be an excuse. Uh, I I, want to say how many Bam might have missed one game total. I I know Dragic's missed a few, but I... I can't say for certain that they wouldn't have won, but I feel like you simply can't use that as an excuse in sports. And I think even they would agree with that.
1: And while, how about you? To me, the biggest story, Mike, I agree. I think the Heat beating the Bucks—that was what I was going to say. But the other biggest story to me was the emergence of a couple superstars that were on the cusp before, but I think really made some statements in the bubble and Jamal Murray first and foremost comes to mind from the Denver Nuggets. He carried them along with Jokic and a couple other uh, role players. I-, I guess more of the role players, but like Gary Harris and those types of guys for the Western conference files. But Murray re- really emerged as a bonafide star in the bubble. And also Luka Doncic, that buzzer beater yep. that he hit for the Mavericks just, That was an enduring shot. It it stuck with me, even though that was earlier in the bubble. It was one of those things where he staked his claim as, okay, I'm next, and I think he's going to be widely considered a top 10, if not top 5 player uh, next season, even. And I think he's going to take up the mantle after LeBron and even Giannis uh, as they get later into their careers. LeBron's already almost retired probably in the next three to five years, but Giannis still has some time. But I think Luka really is is next in line in terms of being that star. So the emergence of certain teams that we didn't necessarily think would advance, like Mike said, the Miami Heat, to me, were the biggest story. But also the Nuggets, even you look at teams like the Phoenix Suns, they were perfect in the bubble, and I'll be interested to see where they go from that finish if it carries over. So Devin Booker also is a name that came to mind. So a lot of guys stepping up and a lot of careers really changing and things that you wouldn't necessarily expect happening. Maybe it was because of the bubble format or maybe it was just because it was time. But that was was my biggest takeaway and I'm excited to see if the performances of those guys and those surprise teams continue into next season whenever that might start yeah
3: and for me the I mean the the heat for sure is one that pops into my mind um, and and really just how far they got I think you know I was not on the same page as Mike Mandel I, I didn't think they'd get past the Bucs um, but the other big surprise to me is the Clippers and their disappointing early exit, um, and then you know firing their coach and and kind of uh, being in a position of turmoil when pretty much everyone predicted Lakers Clippers in the conference finals, and and many thought the Clippers would beat the Lakers or at least it would be a very close series. So. Um, I think that was something that really stood out with the Nuggets you know, we mentioned Murray playing as well as he did being the Clippers in game seven and the Clippers blowing that series what then the 3-1 lead and um, just a, a really tough uh, road for them. Although, you know, I think they can turn it around. I think, you know, some of the comments we saw at the end of that series were a little disappointing saying there wasn't that, you know, that drive that fire that hunger. From some of those top players, for whatever reason, uh, but you know, I think they they still have another at least another year or two together. And we saw LeBron in his first year, um, you know, you know, it was a different situation, but he he had a much better second year in L.A. for sure. Um, so those would be the two top things. I think, Adam, your point about the social justice movement that does stand out to an extent for me too. I mean, just the. The way the players did speak up, you know, first of all, with the kneeling and the postponing of games, and then, you know, there was that potential that the whole season would be canceled and they had the kind of all-hands meeting, as you might call it, uh, in a regular workplace, and they kind of hashed out the the differences, the back and forth, and I think we're all happy they ended up staying and and finishing out the season, but, you know, I think there was a lot of attention on it. I mean, you know, a lot of people disagree with what they did, but a lot of people agree, and it got people talking, which is probably part of what they were trying to make happen. So all in all, I know ratings were down, but I think, you know, the NBA, Adam Silver and, and, uh, all the staff too at Disney that made this all happen, have a lot to be proud of. Well,
0: while, and Ian, you guys both took my, my one and two answers for that question, uh, Mike, while just to, um add on to what you were saying Two two players that you left out that I was going to mention as well. One was Damian Lillard and the other mm-hmm. is Donovan Mitchell. Um, I had a mm-hmm. list of five, five names of young superstars who, who really blew me away in the bubble. So that, that was list for me. And as far as a singular moment, I would have to say it was Damian Lillard and the, the term, um, Um, Logo Lillard, Uh, I think we might have been on doing our live podcast, or we might have delayed a podcast as one of his games was going on, but just seeing some of the ridiculous half-court shots or close-to-half-court shots that he made as he was willing the Blazers into the postseason was really impressive and and memorable to me. So even despite how exciting the playoffs turned out to be, I think it was the the regular season play of Portland and and Lillard in particular that really stood out. And then, Ian, you touched on the Clippers – Um, You know, this is the one year where I think most people were actually picking them to make or win the finals. And you see the impact that a collapse like that can have in the franchise, you know, Doc, Doc Rivers is let go. Uh, There was talk going into the season that Kawhi could be considered a top five player of all time. If he became the first player to win, uh, you know, Finals MVP with three different franchises, not only does he not do that and in, in blowing a three-one lead, but of course LeBron then, uh, you know, took that over and he won the Finals MVP with the Lakers, becoming the first player to do so with three different teams. So um, lots of impact there. I don't know what will happen with the Clippers as far as, um, you know, breaking up the core. There's talks about maybe trading Paul George or, you know, Mantras Harrell's a free agent, so. Um, I think it's it's premature to say that they should blow it up, but uh, very, very disappointing, given um, the expectations that they had coming into the season. So, to transition to another NBA topic, I want to preface this by asking you guys a couple of quick questions, which the, I think the answers will seem obvious, but I, I have a point that I want to make here. Would the three of you guys agree that Jimmy Butler was outstanding in the playoffs? Of course. Yes. Hundred percent,
2: okay. and I think it okay.
0: Would be. do you think that Jimmy Butler losing in the finals to the Lakers will hurt his legacy at all?
1: I know where this line of questioning is going, <laughs> but I answer gonna the question. Say, I'm going to say no, it doesn't hurt his legacy, but he's not in that conversation that you're about He's <laughs> not a
3: guy that, that you think of really having a legacy in my opinion.
1: But it go
0: ahead. You so, may, like, so, he's, so' so, he's so be a clear. the answer the Definitely. the answer here was jimmy butler losing in the finals despite putting the team on his back does not hurt his legacy that's the takeaway here
1: no it it doesn't because (laughs) he it it was like well go ahead i'll i'll let you go to your point
0: i i I think you guys all know where this is going i'm not going to spend too much time on this but obviously lebron wins another title and of course people bring up the talks of, of michael jordan versus lebron james i know that the three of you are all in team jordan you guys consider him the goat so i just wanted to ask you now that lebron has a fourth ring under under his belt the lakers will probably be the favorites next season you know maybe you're playing in front of fans um how much closer does this get lebron to that number one overall spot and what can he do at this point to surpass jordan if anything is it six rings is it seven rings is it Completely unattainable. Uh, while I'll start with you as the resident Bulls fan, but um, you know how how close is the gap now?
1: I mean, you know my feelings on this, given our talks on the last dance. That Jordan will forever be the goat in my eyes, and you have six finals appearances, six championships. I know the argument you were making that <laughs> Jimmy Butler lost the finals, so you can't hold it against LeBron because, and in fairness to LeBron, it is absolutely unbelievable that he what did he have, a streak of 10 straight seasons in the conference finals before last year, nine straight seasons? Well, in the the finals. Or in the NBA finals, yeah. Yeah. So that's unbelievable. So I I take nothing away from LeBron. I put him squarely behind Jordan as second best of all time. To me, it's apples and oranges at this point. LeBron's jumped from team to team to team, and that makes him less... Well, I I, I guess for me it doesn't do it I can't say that winning four championships with three different teams puts him in the same class as Jordan because on the Lakers he had Anthony Davis, on the Heat he had to go to the Heat because he couldn't do it with the Cavs and I think that Jimmy Butler was in a similar situation this year as LeBron was with the Cavs because even though Butler had Adebayo and he had Hero and the other supporting cast there wasn't that superstar and LeBron had to go to Miami and it was Dwayne Wade's team he took over then he went back to Cleveland and he won in Cleveland and I think that that was his most impressive championship because of the surrounding cast but that was only one championship and he lost six times with you know when he didn't have AD when he didn't have certain other guys so I think very much he's an unbelievable player to me he's second best the longevity of his career is amazing and the fact that he's performing at such a high level now but I I think that greatness is measured in dominance and also the level of play that you've had with what Jordan had one team and he was six for six in the finals he never lost and if you go back and watch The Last Dance, I think it is evident that his ability to close and his killer instinct made him a better, in my mind, and I'm biased, I know, but made him a better player than LeBron. So at this point, I don't know if LeBron can do enough, if he wins like 9-10 8 nine titles like okay so there's so
0: there's your that's your number then. There's the
1: conversation <laughs> that's your number. But it depends on what happens too because right. if he's the sixth seventh guy on that team at that point, it's not the same. So if you're asking me if there's a way you can pass him, not likely at all unless he plays another five years and wins a few more titles, which is unfair okay. to hold him to yeah, that but I, I, I think it really comes down to how much you value the
0: longevity i mean yeah you know as, as far as sustained success but ian and mike is there anything that lebron well, can do that can change your mind i mean i
3: think just seeing his performance in this finals for me really you know opened my eyes to to how great he is he was consistent throughout pretty much every game i, I think the argument coming made this was his best finals i'd have to look at the numbers but i know that that's been discussed winning the finals mvp I agree with you know some of Mike's points about just because he did it on three separate teams, he needed you know, help in each team. He kind of knew when to leave teams when it wasn't working out. Um, so that, in a sense, you know, is sort of held against him. But you know, for me, it's going to a team like the Knicks and turning. Yeah, I was going to say around. that. I was going to yeah. say that <laughs> turning a franchise around that cannot win and completely changing yep. the culture. And you know, he's always you know he's smart. He's going to franchises that are on the upper trajectory, or well run, and. He can also have a say in in the coaching staff and things like that. Well,
0: ho- hold, hold on a second. The Lakers were dumpster fire when he got
3: there. That's let's true. Just, That's true. He helped that. turn the culture around. Yeah. So that, I give yeah. him credit. But I, I guess I should say a winning organization. I mean, you know, the Kobe Shaq era wasn't yeah. that long ago. So, uh, so <laughs> that, if he did something like that, that to me would maybe get him to the Jordan level. That said, if he can do what he did this year, you know, two, maybe three more years, which to me, I don't think is going to happen. He's thirty-five now, right?
1: Yeah.
3: Uh, then you know, then maybe you know you could consider him an, an equal to Jordan. But you know, I see that really unlikely at this point in his career. But you never know. Who would have thought he'd be performing at this level I, at age thirty-five? I, I,
0: I yeah. had that prepared as a follow-up question, and, and while I was going to ask you if Jordan, if um, if LeBron, let's say he wins another ring, he gets to five and then he says, you know what, I'm I'm going for it. I'm going to win my sixth title as a member of the Chicago Bulls and take them from one of the worst teams in the league to champion. Could that be the, the deciding factor for you as far as surpassing Jordan?
1: I don't think so, only okay. because there's... I know you're pulling on my heartstrings, and you know I'm a homer, and I admit it, but at that point, again, I think that the key difference is that it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth like Ian said that he knew when to leave his teams and had he stayed in Cleveland even getting supporting cast in Cleveland but had he saw it through and stayed there and won multiple titles with the Cavs playing at the level he's playing at then I think that there's more of a conversation to me what still sticks out is yes he's won four titles but he's lost six so in order to be the greatest player of all time, having a 400 winning percentage in the NBA Finals doesn't do it for me. When you have a guy who was 6 of 6 and was as dominant as Jordan was. I know his career was shorter. In terms of longevity, LeBron may have the, the, the most impressive career in NBA history, even at this point, because he's done it for so long. But in terms of the greatest player of all time, I still would. I don't really know if there's anything LeBron can do to change my perception at this point. Even winning a title with the Bulls, even winning a title with the Knicks. If he does that, if he's 36, 37, 38 years old, winning and transforming a franchise, that's a conversation we can have. But right now, he just won with AD and a bunch of other guys that came to join him
2: all right so i'll add my piece here um because i adam is right i, I still am on uh, on Ian and mike's side as far as jordan currently being the goat. but one one place that i i feel like i'm, I'm going to split is the fact that lebron has carried uh, three different teams to the championship i think that's a good thing um and especially when you consider the fact that he had to go to them for, for, for them to win, um, I, I know he was with Cleveland originally, but it, it had to happen in his second stint It's like he, these three teams teams—the Heat, the, the Cavs and the Lakers each recruited LeBron and he won him a championship It's almost like you know, the job was done um, I, I feel like for me if he does that for a fourth team Which is highly unlikely, you know given the point that he's at in his career and the fact that the Lakers are Probably going to do everything they possibly can to hang on to him um I would say that that would merit serious consideration that, that he would be the GOAT because you would be able to make the argument, okay, well, wherever LeBron goes, he wins. Um, you know, as as far as pure numbers go, I don't know that six would do it, but I think seven probably would. Um, and, and you could make the argument that, well, it's because he's played longer than Jordan. Jordan retired uh, at 35, whereas LeBron keeps playing. But... I, you know the one thing that they ha- that they have in common is it both took them quite some time to win their first I want to say it was about seven or eight years for for both LeBron and Jordan to win their first so you know if, if LeBron is somehow able to cram in seven or more rings right in the prime of, of you know the, the latter part of his career then I think it'll merit serious consideration and, and a lot of people will be saying that that he has replaced Jordan as a goat I'm not sure that I'm ready to go there yet because I'd a- have to see how those potential championship series um, shake out who else he's got on those teams. Uh, but, but I think either of those scenarios would certainly um, bring the discussion back in.
1: But Mike playing off a point, sorry, Adam, if you were going to jump in, um, I just wanted to ask. So last year when LeBron came to the Lakers, they were awful and he went there and they were terrible. And to me, Really, he needed Anthony Davis to come in and make that team not only a championship contender, but just to get them to the playoffs. And they retooled their whole roster to suit LeBron. So it's not the case. And and not taking anything away from LeBron, just playing devil's advocate, because I am in awe of what LeBron did at his age during these finals. I take nothing away. He's 35, and he was as dominant as ever. Yeah. But it's hard to say wherever he goes, he went. He's clearly needed a lot of help in each of the situations. Well,
0: that first of all, been, LeBron. Yeah. First of all, LeBron was hurt last year. He suffered the first major injury of his career. It's true. Secondly, outside of LeBron and AD. It's not a very good roster. I mean, look at the guys. I mean, Reserved Rondo. Like Rondo yeah. was a cast-off. Kentavious Caldwell Pope is starting. I mean, Alex Caruso was not in the NBA a couple years ago. Uh, Danny Green is a role player. JaVale McGee. I mean, these are, these are you know not superstar cast that he's that he's surrounded with. He's got a great player in AD, obviously. But you take LeBron off this team, and they're a they're a 30 win team with a healthy Anthony Davis. So, I mean, yes, that's, he deserves a lot of credit, that's but. Fair.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's I fair. Like
2: as, as much as, you know, he is arguably needed Anthony Davis or he needed Wade and Bosh. Those teams needed him. They needed to bring him yeah. in or they weren't winning. That, that's the so, only point I'd make.
0: I'm going to I'm going to cop out and, and not give a straight answer to the question. However, you asked the I, question,
2: though. You <laughs> have to give the answer.
0: <laughs> However, I I do want to address anyone out there who wants to discredit or put an asterisk to this championship, which I think is totally ridiculous for, for a number of reasons. Number one, I think Giannis had said it before the postseason started. This is arguably the most challenging championship to win, at least from a mental standpoint, given you know, the obvious isolation, being in a bubble, um, you're completely off your normal uh, you know r- daily routine as an NBA player. That's number one. Number two, uh, as a number one seed in the Western Conference... They're actually at the biggest disadvantage as a result of this bubble setup and not having home court advantage. As as a number one seed, they should have had home court throughout the playoffs, including the finals. And so in in that in that regard, the the number one Lakers were at a disadvantage by the bubble setup. So I think that's important to note. And number three, I'm sure there will be some people who say, oh, well, You know, Drogic was injured and Bam Adebayo was hurt. So doesn't count. Easy opponent. And what I would counter to that is if you're going to play that card here, then you have to give LeBron a free pass for losing to the Warriors when Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving missed virtually the entire series. Which, by the way, I think that series statistically was LeBron's ever. He was unbelievable. And he he somehow willed them to six games with Matthew Delvadova as the second best player. So I just want to, you know, People are very quick to forget the injuries that took place in in previous finals, and the fact that I mean LeBron really had no shot against that Warriors team uh, when when Love and Kyrie went down. So I think if people are going to bring up the injuries versus Miami, and you want to cite his win loss record in the finals, then you have to you know you have to give him a pass for that old final. So I just think I just wanted to state that. So I'm
1: not letting you get away with it though. <laughs> what if he hasn't passed them already? Because I don't know if you're going to say he has. What does he have to do? Well, I I,
0: I think you'd have to go back and, and check my Twitter, but I I want to say that a couple of years ago I, I I said that LeBron had surpassed him, oh, and then okay. I watched the Jordan documentary, and then I was I, <laughs> I was feeling all out of whack and um Maybe look, you you know watch I guess what I'll <laughs> go back and
1: watch the Last Dance again.
0: What what I'll say is I, I really don't like comparing players at different eras. It's it's impossible to do. I mean, both players are incredible. I think it really comes down to look how how do you value uh, the longevity of LeBron's career? And look, you, you talk about Jordan was was you know six and out in the finals, but he also walked away from the NBA twice um, due to exhaustion. And I think you can make a very strong case that the Bulls probably would have lost had he come back just because of the mental toll that jordan had had taken willing his team to those two three-peats so you could you could argue that look lebron took his lumps and and he's under a lot more scrutiny now with the with the era of social media and and the the constant comparisons to jordan i mean i don't think jordan was ever dealing with the pressure of being compared to um you know another player like lebron is so i think it's really a a matter of, of how you value um you know those different factors so
3: and I, I, I just I'm want leave to leave that. One other point on this, or maybe two other points, and we can we don't necessarily have to discuss. But yeah. I think being in that central bubble location probably helped LeBron in terms of no travel. I think it makes it a lot easier. I know the game schedule is a bit condensed, but I would think not having to get on a plane and and deal with that was probably a big help to to him and his health. And then I I would also be curious. I don't know if this was asked of him yet, but. You know, what is his endgame at this point? He's accomplished pretty much everything he set forth to do. I mean, is he trying to match Jordan's titles? Is he, you well, know, just play out I think he's I think he's addressed this. I think his
0: goal is to is to play on the same court as his son, his son. in an NBA game, which I think is like six years away. But right.
3: but it's gonna be at that point where he's the tenth guy on the roster, does he wanna be in the league at that point? And that's still far a ways off. There's plenty yeah. of time to talk about that.
0: And I mean that would be pretty cool to see though.
1: I agree. Isn't he in high school? His kid. Yeah. Uh, I think so. So then it wouldn't be. It's only a few years. I feel like it's well, like four. Well, you're
0: years. assuming you're assuming that he's a he's a stud like oh, LeBron part. was, and he's he comes out after freshman year of college. I mean, we don't know. Mm. We'll yeah. see. So anyway, so that puts a wrap on the NBA season. Um, again, hats off to the NBA and Adam Silver. They pulled it off. I know there was skepticism going in, but I'm really glad that they did it. I, I remember we were talking about whether it's worth it and. I mean, let's be real. If the NBA didn't do this, we wouldn't have had a champion this season. And its it, I think what they showed you is that it was possible. It, it took a lot of dedication and sacrifice by the players, the league, the staff, but they, they pulled it off. So I think we're all much better off for it.
2: Yeah, and I don't care what people say about the ratings. It was a lot of fun to watch that finals between the Lakers and the Heat.
0: All right, so let's transition to football talk now. And I think the big story from week five was the gruesome injury to Dak Prescott, Dallas Cowboys quarterback, suffered a compound fracture and dislocation of his right ankle. Uh, For those who didn't see the clip, I highly advise against it. Um, One of the ugliest injuries you will ever see. Um, But this kind of brings to surface the talks. You know, Dak Prescott was always, I feel like the last couple of years, he's been in contract negotiations negotiations with the Cowboys and they've franchise tendered him the last two years, I believe. Um, So, I mean, do you guys think, I mean, this is, this is why NFL players negotiate and hold out. It's, it's for this exact reason is guy could get hurt and his career is never the same. So do you guys think that the Cowboys did wrong by, by Dak or does this maybe kind of prove the point that, you know, it's a risky investment in an NFL player, and, and that's why owners will push back as much as players do. Ian, what are your thoughts?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the Cowboys and any other team in this position are playing by the rules. And and that's, you know, you can't really fault, fault them. I mean, you see this in baseball with service time manipulation, and it's probably a flaw in the system the way it's set up now where an injury like this could, you know, totally derail uh, his future earnings and his overall career earnings where it's it's you know even as a giants fan i i feel somewhat bad for him because at this point who knows you know he'll be out a year plus i imagine and um, obviously isn't going to get that big contract so um, i don't fault the the cowboys necessarily but think that there probably needs to be some sort of you know changes to some of those rules in the nfl
2: yeah and i'm, I'm not one to almost ever side with the owners but I think in this situation, you have to consider that Dak had the chance to make his case over the first, what, four years of his career, and he apparently just didn't get the job done. He's been a good quarterback, but he clearly wasn't indispensable enough for them to give him that long-term contract. Um, yeah, I think the injury is... I mean, it, it's terrible timing, obviously. Uh, I feel terrible about what's going to... Even as an Eagles fan, by, by the way, Philly does grieve his injury. We want him to fully recover. Um, I, I, I feel terrible what happened, nonetheless, um, about his injury. But, you know, if, if he'd gotten the Cowboys past round one of the playoffs, maybe he would have gotten that contract.
1: Yeah, I I think that it's the owner's prerogative. So Jerry Jones offered him thirty plus million dollars a year, over the length of the contract he offered, and that's a lot of money. That's life changing money. That's enough where it's it's not the going rate for a top ten quarterback in the NFL, but it's still enough where you're set. So Dak could have taken a very big contract, and to his credit, in terms of his confidence in himself, he decided not to. He had a phenomenal first few games of the season he was he looked amazing he looked like the best quarterback in the league him and Russell Wilson so he believed in himself and it looked good until it didn't and the I don't want to say it's fortunate but the one good thing coming from this potentially for Dak is it wasn't his knee it was his ankle and even though it looked so gruesome I think it was a similar injury that gordon hayward had and a few other athletes have that with ankles you can come back in six to eight months you're almost you're, you're able to run and and cut and i think that by the time next year at least early in the season next year he should be okay and from what stephen jones and jerry jones have been saying the last couple days it seems like they're at least going to sign him to a short-term deal or franchise him again next year and Given the way he played the first four games, assuming his ankle heals, I think he'll still get that big contract. And I, I actually think it's going to be with the Cowboys. You could bookmark this or whatever, and we can revisit it in the future. But I still think the Cowboys would be really foolish to let him go. And as a Bears fan, I would like nothing more if they do that than the Bears to swoop in and give him whatever he wants. Because to me, this year, the way he played, he looked like a superstar. So I hope he heals and and gets healthy soon. And I'm glad the surgery went well. But I I still think he's going to get his money. I'm
0: actually surprised the the direction this is headed in because I've seen a lot of talk on on Twitter, which I know is not always a reflection of reality. But I've seen a lot of people who are really angry at Jerry Jones. I know Stephen A. Smith had a a rant on it. And I was really surprised to hear that. Uh, People say, well, Dak's injury shows that Um, you know, the Cowboys should have paid him. And, and my counter to that would be like, it's actually the opposite. Like Dak's injury is, is proof that the Cowboys actually made the right decision and they shouldn't have paid him. Like, how does Dak getting injured show that they should have paid him? So you're saying that Dak deserves to be paid $150 million if he's never the same quarterback again, like how is that fair to the Cowboys? I get it that, that, you know, football players are are risking their livelihood to play, but at the same time, if you're a team and you invest a lot of money in a player and he can't play the games, I mean, that's money that they're not getting back and it, it'll hamper the, the franchise for years if he doesn't play. So I think obviously you, you feel bad for him and he seems like a really good guy by all accounts, but it's not like the Cowboys you know, lowballed him, they offered him, I don't know exactly what it was, but it was over $35 million a season. And I think the big issue was, number one, the Cowboys were offering five years and Dak wanted four years so that he could be a free agent and get even more money later on down the road, which to me, it's like, okay, you want the Cowboys to make a long-term investment in them and you make a long-term investment in the team, just take the extra year. Um, so that bothered me. And then also, I believe Dak wanted to be the highest paid player in the NFL and I know that there's a precedent now where every franchise quarterback who signs a contract somehow becomes the highest paid player in the league but I'm sorry Dak Prescott is not the best quarterback in the NFL he's not even close to it so if that was the case and he was he wanted to be the, the highest paid player in the league I totally get why Dallas didn't budge and it's really unfortunate what happened I mean Let's be real. He he still has more than enough money to last multiple lifetimes. But um, as far as negotiations, I, I understand it from the player side, but from the owner side too. This this is exactly the reason why you have to be hesitant about giving out some of these contracts. And and for Dak, you know, I'm sure he if he could go back in time, he would have signed that five year deal when he could. But uh, while I, I I do agree with you, I think that he will end up getting big money from the Cowboys. Um, you know, it, it might not be exactly what it was before, but I think he'll still make nine figures for sure.
1: <laughs> they may offer him the same deal that they offered him before. He might take it this time. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah.
0: Um, speaking of of gruesome injuries, how about Alex Smith coming back from? And we talk about how gruesome Dak's injury was. I think Alex Smith was that times a thousand. Um, and he actually got into the game on Sunday, and I, I know they got blown out, but the fact that he was able to survive a couple sacks from Aaron Donald I mean that's like if that's not the ultimate test of whether you're you're ready to play um, I don't know what is but uh, I don't know about you guys I was just watching him and, and hoping um, I, I just felt very uncomfortable watching a guy come back from an injury like that and um, I, I can't imagine being a family member of his and, and you know watching him play on a weekly basis
1: I want to say two things about this one I think that this was the greatest come back from an injury in sports history looking at where he came from not talking about performance afterward but just the odds of him coming back and playing in an nfl game this is the nfl it's the highest caliber competition in the world so he he couldn't walk he had what 15 or so surgeries in in the year before he started playing football again and i had watched the the e60 on him and, and read the long form articles about him and he is uh, he has a lot of guts because of going from he could lose his leg to playing in an nfl game that's a big reach and adam i agree when i saw him getting sacked i was fearing for his leg huh. but it held up and i also the second thing i want to say is his doctors did a fantastic job but his wife i was watching that as I said, the E60 on him. And if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. That relationship is unbelievable. And his wife stuck by him and took care of him and stayed by his side through the whole process. Didn't discourage him to play because she knew that that was his goal. And I was blown away by the support that he got from his wife. So I I thought it was unbelievable. To me, it's the Greatest comeback from an injury in sports history, seeing as to where he was and the mentality that Alex Smith had to have to put his, frankly, his leg on the line again, if not his life, because if God forbid something happened, it, it, I, can, it can go bad in a hurry. So I would
0: say even if Alex Smith doesn't play another game this season, or if he does play a few more games and has a one to three touchdown interception ratio, I would argue he deserves to win comeback player of the year just for coming back from that injury and taking multiple sacks from Aaron Don- Aaron Donald it's,
2: in his in his first game. It's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, I think he already is the front runner for NFL comeback player of the year. I, I also for the record think he is gonna surpass that low bar that we said. I don't expect him to suddenly become a Pro Bowl quarterback again, but it, it looks like he's gonna have a significant amount of time that he'll, he'll get the start for the team, so you know, I think given how weak the NFC East is, um, they'll actually have a chance to have a couple of good games.
3: Could be the most exciting story to come out of that division. Right? What if they <laughs> win the division?
1: Who knows? They're they're one in four right now, so they can they have a shot.
3: They're right, right.
1: in it. Yeah. one game
2: behind Dallas. who just lost their their starter, so
1: right anything could happen.
2: So we had
0: some breaking news come on uh, shortly before we started recording this podcast, and that is the Jets have decided to release Le'Veon Bell. I guess they shopped him around, couldn't find a trading partner, so they have cut him altogether. So Le'Veon Bell made $28 million in 18 games played for the Jets. And I would expect there to be a lot of interest in him. I, I've seen a couple teams that might be interested. We've got the the Steelers, uh, Bears, Cardinals, Chargers, and Bills all potentially in play. Um, do you guys think that Bell's washed up? Is it just a really bad fit and, and the Jets underutilizing him? Maybe, Mike Weil, I'll, I'll ask you. Um, do you see the Bears as a fit for him or is he a kind of guy you want to stay away from at this point?
1: No, I I would definitely see the Bears as a fit for him. I don't think he's a Le'Veon Bell of three years ago, but I still think he has something left in the tank and they're 4-1, so it's a more attractive situation than it could have been. They, they can win the division potentially, so anything they can do to bolster this offense, if you add Le'Veon Bell, you have Allen Robinson, Nick Foles has looked like he can win games, so I'd love to see the Bears go after him. And I, I he could land with the Steelers again, depending on his relationship with Tomlin at this point, because it wasn't like they, they didn't want him to leave. But um, I'd love him on the Bears to answer your question.
2: Yeah, I think that'd be a good fit, in fact, because I think the Bears' biggest struggle offensively right now is easily their running game. I want to say they got, what, less than 60 yards rushing against the uh, – Buccaneers in their victory against them. So I think Bell could prove to be a major part of that supporting cast. I could easily see Matt Nagy going with a, a platoon situation there. Um, and Mike is right. He is not the Le'Veon Bell of three years ago, giving that run, running, ba- run, running backs tend to have lifespans of four to five years unless you're Adrian Peterson. Um, but I, I think that would probably be the best fit for him, especially with a team that was not expected to do nearly as well as they're doing.
0: Which team was that, Mike?
2: The Bears. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, real quick, as the resident Jets fan here, I would say Bell is definitely not the same player that he was. I think he's lost a step, but the Jets really underutilized him. They they barely threw him the ball, and I think his value in Pittsburgh was not just as a, as a runner, but he caught a ton of balls. So I think whatever team signs him um, should be able to figure out a better way to use him. I think a great fit for him, and I, it wouldn't shock me to see him end up there is the Patriots. I mean, he's like the perfect kind of player that, that... Or this is the perfect kind of guy that Bill Belichick likes to bring in. And, and generally, a player at this point of, of his career... Uh, you know, Le'Veon's been with the, the losing Jets for two years. I'm sure he'd love to go to a team like New England. So that's that's my
3: prediction for where he Worst ends First coach up. to potentially best coach, right?
0: Yep. yep. So let's, let's transition to picks because I do want to make sure we get to MLB talk. Um, a recap of where we stand... So far on the season, yours truly is leading the pack at 13 and 5. Mike Weil is second at 11 and 7. Mike Mandel 10 and 8. And then Ian at 9 and 9. Although I will point out, Mike Mandel and Ian were both 4 and 0 last week, pending the results of the Buffalo Tennessee game. Although it looks like Tennessee is going to win and cover the spread. And I was the only one who picked them, so I may gain another game on you. You're gaining a game. Rich we'll gain richer. another game. This over. So the way we'll do this, uh, we'll talk about the. Our, our, we'll do our week six, our week six picks, um, and then before you give your pick, I'll let each of you, you know, go on for a minute or two about your own team and and how they performed last week. So um, first game on the docket is. Washington football club or football team, whatever they're called um, at New York giants giants uh, are underdogs minus three. They're Um, favored. I'm sorry. Giants are are fa. Yes. Giants are favored minus three Uh, giants had a tough loss to Dallas, although they hung in there and covered the spread, which I was not expecting. Um, So Ian, I'll, I'll throw it over to you thoughts on last week's game versus Dallas. And then, um, Where's your head at for next week's game against
3: Washington? It's the game of the week, right? Washington at the Giants. <laughs> uh, been waiting all week for it. Uh, no, I mean, the, the Giants, uh, you know, they're... I guess you could give them a little bit of credit for at least being competitive, but they are consistently basically underperforming, blowing leads, getting close, and then just not being able to finish the deal. Daniel Jones is, you know, there's again, there's some potential, but I feel like he hasn't been super impressive either. Um, Offensive line play is lacking. I think they had a big injury this past week, too, in that department. So not expecting, uh, you know, a big turnaround this season. That said, this is a game where the Giants are at home. They're playing a Washington team that. You know, yes, they have a win, but I don't know that they are any better than the Giants. They're probably somewhere around even. Again, we're talking about some of the worst teams in the league. I will stay optimistic in a sense, although the Giants losing is probably better, as I know Adam is also kind of rooting against his team for <laughs> draft pick uh, position. Um, and I think the Giants, right? They now have the better pick than the Jets, even though they are tied uh, for yep. the world record. Um. anyway, I see the Giants being able to win this game against Washington and, and covering a three-point spread.
0: All right, and uh, two mics You want to give your pick real quick?
1: Sure. I'm going to agree with Ian. I think the Giants get their first win here. They have to win sometime, and against the Redskins, who haven't been impressive, I'm taking the Giants. I like Devontae Freeman, the addition to the offense, even though he it's lost the long. long. Yeah, so, he looked Freeman looked really good, actually. Yeah, so I'm going to take them to cover.
2: And I'm going to take Washington. I think this is a good chance for them to get another victory. Um, I think, you know, if if you look at the the strength of schedule so far, Washington has had it tougher um, at this point in the season. And I I think this is their chance to possibly win and, and definitely to cover the spread.
0: And I'm going to take the Giants as well. Um, I've been very impressed. You know, they're 0-5, but I think they've competed in most of their games. I think most of their losses have been within a score. Um, I, I actually feel pretty strongly about this game. And in, in I know we have a survivor league going on. And I'm actually thinking of taking the Giants, in part because um, some of the teams I've, I've picked, obviously you, you can't pick more than once. But um, I think there's a lot of toss-up matchups this, this weekend. And i feel pretty good about the giants and their chances against washington i don't think Washington's a very good team so i'm gonna take the giants so let's move on to our next game which our resident eagles fan mike mandel will talk about we've got ravens at eagles the eagles are seven and a half point dogs uh the eagles did not cover the spread last week uh they lost to Pittsburgh. I think the game, it was close, and then Pittsburgh scored late to, to cover. But, um, Mike Mandel, your thoughts on last week's game, and then do you see the Eagles covering versus the Ravens? I'm assuming you don't have them for an upset win, but can they cover the spread?
2: <laughs> uh, not not yet. And, and listen, last, last Sunday they put up a fight. It was certainly better than they had played during the first three games of the season. And In fact, if they had played – at that level, during the first three games, they would have won at least two of them, possibly even three. But, you know, they, they still had chances to win that game against the Steelers They missed opportunities. For one, I don't know where Jim Schwartz's head was at um, when, when Pittsburgh scored the go-ahead touchdown. They they totally leave him open. Uh, having a linebacker cover a receiver was just boneheaded. Um, and, and Wentz, he, he missed a couple of key throws. Uh, he, he did throw two picks, which seems to be his repertoire for the season. And there were a couple of others where there were incomplete passes and he could have had them. So I, I think that the Eagles still have the work cut out for them. And until they prove otherwise, I'm going to have to pick the Ravens to cover the spread.
3: Ian? Yeah. I'll go with the Eagles. Um, again, I think they, they've been pretty competitive. Um, it seems it's a little bit high for me, so I don't think the Eagles will win, but I'll say it's going to remain a close game, and they'll, they'll cover the
1: 7.5. Yeah, Mike, I'm sorry to do this to the Eagles. I bet Pittsburgh last week to cover. I'm going to do the same thing here with Baltimore. I think the Ravens offense is one of the best in the league, and Philly's defense hasn't impressed me enough where i can see them keeping it close so eagles not gonna get the job done and i'm taking ravens covering here
0: i think i've picked the eagles the last i didn't pick them last week but i think i picked them a few weeks before and they've they've let me down and i'm starting to get the sense that maybe this eagles team might not be so good Uh, baltimore certainly not a favorable matchup so i'm going to take the ravens to cover at seven and a half so let's transition to our third game. Uh, Bears at Panthers. Mike, while we, we touched on it at the very beginning of the show, the Bears with a, a surprising win over Tampa Brady, um, the Buccaneers. So they're 4-1, and one, half a game out of first place. Uh, your thoughts on last week's game? And they are um, two and a half, do- uh, two and a half um, yeah, dogs against Carolina. How do you see that playing out?
1: So I am ecstatic. I am shocked. I thought that given how the first quarter of that game went on Thursday when the Bears found themselves down almost two scores, that there's no way they were coming back, given how the offense looked. And somehow, they're, they're clutch. They managed to claw back. And by the end of the first half, they were winning the game. So Nick Foles does what he needs to do. I think that the defense hasn't made as many eye turning plays and those pick sixes and sack fumbles that you're used to seeing from the bears defense. But what they have done is they've kept games close and they've been very good in terms of containing offenses. So I think that as long as the bears offense can be average and I, with Nick Foles getting more time to work under Matt Nagy's scheme, they could surprise a lot of people. I see them winning this week. I see them cover, I'm taking them with the points, plus two and a half, because I think right now, the Panthers' zone of Christian McCaffrey, they're a better team than Carolina. They should win this game, in my opinion. So, Khalil Mack was outstanding on Thursday night. He was getting held, as always, but the pressure and his ability to get to Tom Brady were really, really helpful to that Bears defense. So, I wish Eddie Goldman was on this team, because he would absolutely make the bears a top five defense but even without him the way akeem hicks khalil Mack, Jalen johnson their rookie safety have been playing and of course eddie jackson kyle fuller you still have a lot of good players so very excited about the bears great win over the bucks and keep it going enjoy the long week and i'm taking the points mandel
2: you know, this is a tough one because both these teams are surprise teams this season. They're unexpectedly good with, uh, you know, Teddy Bridgewater having possibly a career year and um, Chicago as a unit holding it down. Um, I'm going to go with the Bears again. They, they didn't disappoint me last week. Uh, Foles conquers Brady again, and um, I think this week uh, they're going to pull it out because as good as the Panthers have been, uh, they haven't run into the Bears defense yet. How about
3: you, Ian? I guess I'll go next. I wanted to see if Adam uh, was going the Panthers' way. Otherwise, I might be the <laughs> two picks in a row. Um, and I, I will take the Panthers at home. I feel like they've been playing a lot better. Obviously, they on a three-game winning streak. Um, their competition hasn't been the greatest, but you know, I think going to LA, beating the char- Chargers a couple weeks ago, and then you know, the the victories against Arizona and Atlanta. Uh, I see it you know, to be a, a close game, but I think they can eke away a victory uh, by at least a field goal.
0: Yeah, this game is a toss-up to me. I'm going to pick the Panthers here, um, and I don't feel strongly about it, but they've, as Mike Mandel mentioned, they've surpassed expectations. I think the Bears... Um, have played over their heads um i i'd be shocked to see them as a five and one team uh, i'll take the panthers uh, i'm rooting for robbie anderson who the jets let go for for nothing um so it looks like we have a, a split there for that game jets of dolphins jets are eight point underdogs i'm gonna make an executive decision here <laughs> where none of you have to provide any analysis for this game, and what I'm going to say is the Jets
3: are 0-5. Pick the, if you pick the Jets, though, yeah, you might have to defend yourself.
0: <laughs> the the Jets are 0-5. They're also 0-5 against the spread this year. So, um and I can assure you, the Dolphins will not be eight-point favorites against any other team this year. So, the easy pick is the Dolphins. uh All I'll really say about last week's embarrassing loss at 30 to 10 against the Arizona Cardinals, who are, who are not a bad team, but um i mean the jets look completely incompetent the only thing i will say is there's a lot of people who are out there clamoring for the jets to fire adam gaze and i'm actually really against this and it's not because oh i want them to go 0 16 but to me first of all your general manager came out and supported this guy a couple a couple weeks ago saying he's a you know he's an offensive genius and he really likes him but to me it would only it would only support the notion that the jets are a dysfunctional franchise regardless of you know look this team is not winning this year but this is the guy you chose as your head coach and to fire him after not even two full seasons would 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 show what a disastrous decision it was and we we know he's going to be fired at the end of the season but to do but to make Sam Darnold play for another head coach right now and to to fire a guy so early into the season uh to me would would just be showing what a huge mistake you made I think this is the guy you need to have conviction. I mean, if this is the guy you wanted, I I think to me, everybody knew the jets were going to be terrible this year, but when you hire a head coach, you should, you should be okay with a couple losing seasons. If you believe in his long-term vision. And to me, it sounds like the jets are pretty much ready to bail on him after the season. So he was the wrong guy to hire from the get go. And, um, you know, but, but they should let him play out the season. And hopefully for our sake, they, they lose out and, and they get the number one pick. Uh, I'm assuming you guys are all taking the Dolphins. Is that that a safe assumption? Yes. I
2: I am, at least. The the one caveat I'll say is that before Sunday, I would have taken the Jets to beat the spread, but the way that the Dolphins demolished the 49ers, uh, I'm going to go with them.
0: All right, and then our our last game for the week... um, Packers at Bucks. I know there's. I think the Chiefs are also playing either Tennessee or, or Buffalo. I think it's. I think they play Buffalo, um, but there's no spread for the game as of now because the the Titans game is the Titans Bills game is still going on. So I put Packers at Bucks. Uh, Packers are two and a half point favorites. Um, Mike, Weil, as the um, as the divisional
1: rival, I'll, I'll start with you.
0: Uh, who are you picking in this game?
1: Man, I hate the Packers so much, and I really don't want to do it. But the way the Bucks played last week and the way the Packers have been playing this season, my head is telling me I have to. So I'm taking the Packers minus 2.5. I think they're going to win this game. Aaron Rodgers keeps the Packers rolling. The The Bucks offense still hasn't clicked yet, and I know there were a bunch of guys hurt last week. But until the Bucs click... The Packers have an underrated defense. Like, they're they're not great on defense, but they're good enough. And the offense has been great. So, Packers, minus two and a half.
3: Yeah, I'll jump in. I agree with most of what Weil said. Um, I'm just looking at Chris Godwin, the, the star receiver for the Bucs, who's been out the last couple of weeks. He's on my fantasy team. I see he's starting to practice, but with a hamstring issue. Who knows if he'll be back this week. Uh, yeah I mean I think Rodgers has really impressed me and you know most of the league so um, I think at this point they will go down to Tampa and and beat the Bucks. I will also take the Packers
2: yeah there might not be much dissension on this one because I'm going to do the same I mean the the Packers have been unstoppable the season thus far um, I feel like they've dominated every team that they've played so you know the Bucks have been decent but they haven't been incredible and they're not going to stop the pack
0: i'm taking the packers as well i like them coming off the bye week uh tampa bay didn't look so good last week uh uncertain injury status um with with godwin and a couple other players so it looks like we have a clean sleep for for green bay so that'll do it for our week six picks um we'll check in next week to see how we how we fared uh last topic of the day i want to talk a little bit mlb i know it's almost a week passed, but our, our last podcast was um, eight days ago, but the, the Rays and the Yankees had a really fantastic five-game series, where it really came down to the at um, the, the bottom of the eighth inning of, of game five, where uh, Chapman gave up a home run to uh, Mike Brousseau, who, of course, he almost hit in the head with a pitch earlier in the season, but Ian as our resident Yankee fan. I figured I'd give you a couple of minutes to, to chime in. I know there were some Questionable decisions from Aaron Boone, as as well as the front office, as as far as their game two starter is concerned. But I'll let you take the floor here.
3: Yeah, I think there's definitely a bunch of moves that can be nitpicked and uh, probably should be. But I also think it's it's the same issue with the Yankees and in, in a lot of the years where um, you know they've had the early exits. It's the the hitter, the hitters going ice cold. I think there were you know some stats basically. Uh, most of their vaunted lineup, including Judge, who had a couple of big hits in the playoffs, but besides that, was ice cold. And you have to give the Rays pitchers credit. I mean, every guy's throwing basically ninety nine, one hundred miles an hour. It's it's pretty insane. That said, you know, again, I'm a I'm not exactly a a professional baseball coach, but it just seems like there's no shortening of swings, taking a two strike approach. Just get the ball into play. You know that's why DJ LeMahieu is so great, and he didn't have a great playoffs either. But these guys are always swinging for the fences, and I understand the home run has you know taken over the game, and and against average to slightly above average pitching that works. But against a team like the Rays or any of these last teams standing, you have to have a little bit more strategy. And it seems like that wasn't the case in in the games they lost. Um, the game two decision was also really strange when they announced. Debbie Garcia or Davey Garcia as their starter. I really liked the move. I didn't trust Chapman. Ch- not Chapman. I don't trust him much either. But Jay Happ, um, you know, he, he had a few good starts down down the stretch, but he's been mostly, you know, one of the worst pitchers in baseball over his tenure with the Yankees. And, um, you know, to pull Davy, who didn't have a great first inning, but to pull him after one inning, I think that was the only inning he saw of action in the series. Um, who's he's actually been one of their better players for half. Just it just seemed like they overthink it. I mean, they didn't do that all their season long. They were trying to be cute. That was really strange. And then another the move that really stood out. I know you could, I think Adam, we were even texting about you know bringing pen Hurt. But the other move that really stood out for me uh, as strange um, was was uh, uh, bringing Mike Ford as a pinch hitter. Um, late in Game 5, losing Higashioka as a catcher, who had been playing really well in the series, and, and even pinch-hitting uh, Ford instead of a guy like Clint Frazier, who's been playing really well. Um, Ford had not had a hit since August, <laughs> so is that the kind of guy you want to bring into a deciding game? Again, one at bat, it's not the end of the world, but little moves like that to me were really strange, and I'm a little surprised. I know Hal Steinbrenner was on Michael Cape today. They're definitely bringing back Cashman. They're bringing back Boone. I think they're probably going to make some big changes in the staff. Um, um, I think to you know to spend the big money to get the premier free agent really over the past, uh, you know, few off seasons the big money. Um, and and Cole was amazing. We talk about Cole too in Game Five on three days rest, first time in his career, giving up only one run. But you know to kind of get bounced a series earlier is that's uh, not going to cut it for the Yankees and. Um, We'll see what happens with it. I mean, I think, you know, I know we're going to talk briefly about the, the CSs. I think for me as a Yankee fan, watching the ALCS, it's uh, pretty much the worst two options possible. Um, so uh, I don't know if we have other thoughts to add on this, but uh, I, I also do see now the Dodgers are making it a game in the bottom of the ninth, if we want to talk about that.
0: Yeah, I, I just have two quick points on the Rays Yankee series. Number one, I I hate this idea of an opener. I, I think it's... A, classic case of trying to be the smartest man in the room. There are very few cases where it makes sense. If you have extremely weak starting pitching and a very strong bullpen, I get it, but the way that the Yankees did it made absolutely no sense. You you burned, in my opinion, your be- your, your second best starting pitcher in one inning, and you brought in probably your fourth best pitcher who just didn't have it that day. It was an easy, fir- easy first yeah. guess decision, and to me, you know, just let the guys play. I mean, stop with the... stop with the,
3: and, and the you know, playoffs, over... the ALCDS is not the time to start doing it. I mean, they're not a team that has really done that besides with Green really right. last. And it's, it's very strange.
0: Trying to beat the Rays at their own game was a big mistake. Um, so that, that bothered me as, as a baseball fan. The second thing I wanted to bring up real quick is I'm seeing a lot of talk about, oh, well, you know, the Yankees have to shake things up and... Uh, you know they can't get it done in the playoffs, and you know this guy uh, is not clutch, and so and so. And I, I, I kind of want to pull the brakes on that, and, and preface it by saying it's really hard to win in the MLB in the MLB playoffs. Um, it's it's a really small sample size. It's you know it's in the division series it's only five games. I mean it came down to the bottom of the eighth inning. They were they were locked up with the Rays. It, it easily could have gone either way. So I. I just want to caution people who overreact to losing in the baseball postseason. I, I get it. The Yankees are generally a World Series or bust type of team. But I don't, I, I, I don't know that there's much you can do to change the outcome moving forward. Yeah, maybe they, they're, they're missing a left-handed bat who would have helped them. But for the most part, the baseball postseason is, is a crapshoot. And I think the fact that the Yankees are getting there every year is really all you can ask for as a sports fan. I mean, they they brought in the ace pitcher. He did his job, although I I wish they would have... If I were a Yankee fan, I I would have liked to have seen them uh, finish the sixth inning... Uh, but I, yeah. I, I do caution about overreacting to teams unable to get it done in the postseason, uh, when it really is a crapshoot in baseball.
3: I challenge, and I know we're we're looking to wrap soon, but I challenge you a little bit. They did absolutely nothing at the deadline. I mean, they have you know players in their prime now on on kind of those early contracts where they're running out of time with that group. I know they can re-sign some of them, but. I just feel like they're at, at a point where they haven't been doing enough. I mean, look at the Astros. I know they're a special case with their cheating, but they've been to the ALCS and beyond um, more consistently of late. So, yes, the Yankees are one of the top teams, but I feel like they could be doing a little bit more to ensure that they're getting further um, in the postseason.
1: Yeah, and Adam, segueing into the ALCS, to your point about the opener and playing the Rays, beating the Rays at their own game or not beating the Rays at their own game, when the Rays first started using the opener, I was like, what are they doing? This is not baseball, this is weird. Why would you have a bullpen guy open the game when you could have a starter open the game? But now that they've done that and they've groomed their bullpen to come in basically at any situation, any one of those guys can come in at any given situation. I think they said they had like 14 guys save games this year over the course of the season. It makes them look brilliant because the playoffs now are very much that matchup game Especially as you go later into a series you're rarely seeing the starters unless they're like Garrett Cole level type starters Go past the third fourth inning because they're playing matchups and they're playing the fact that as you go through the order multiple times hitters are more likely to succeed so the way the Rays have managed this and and found this new way of winning. That that to me is the coolest part about baseball, that even though it's been around for over a hundred years, there's always evolution and new ways of thinking and new ways of playing the game. So this strategy of the Rays using these pitchers, I saw a great gift. I think shout out to Nick Pollock, it was from Alex Fast who works with Pitcherlist, that it showed the different arm angles of the Rays pitchers in I think it was game two against Houston and you literally, they called it like Doc Ock, where you had every single pitcher had different arm angles as you moved from the left side of the plate to the right side of the plate. So it, it almost looked like the the top half of a clock or the hands would go from, let's say the nine to the 12 to the three. Um, and it, it was just very cool to see because you're giving all these hitters different looks. So. And, and then with the NLCS, shout-out to the Braves. I mean, after they lost Soroka, it looked like they were in trouble. If they can hold on here, there's a runner at third with two outs in the bottom of the ninth. They were winning by, what was it, 8-1, to one, and now it's 8-7. to seven. So we'll see. But the Braves, I, I want to just give a shout-out to the Braves because we haven't talked about them at all. And Max Fried and... Um, ian anderson have been phenomenal and kyle wright stepped up as their third starter and their offense with their young talent and marcel Zuna has been incredible so it was a seven nothing lead they haven't lost as of yet in the playoffs hopefully i'm pulling for them i'd like to see them upset the dodgers because it's fun to see the underdog win so i'm hoping for personally a braves rays world series but we'll see what happens and mark melanson the man who has caught two home runs in the bullpen in two straight nights, is on to close the game. So we'll see. But yeah, sorry for for commandeering the show. For and, uh, Mandel, years. your
0: your your quick thoughts on the LCS. I guess um, do you do you see either of these teams who are trailing with a chance to come back? And what what's your
2: preferred World Series matchup? So my preferred World Series matchup is easily going to be the um, the, the Rays and the Dodgers. Um, there's really no question there. You know, a because well, the Astros in my eyes are are still the cheaters, and we absolutely cannot have them win yet another World Series the, the, this soon after the cheating scandal. And I also, I, I mean, I like the Rays. I like the fact that you know they they almost still feel like an expansion team, even though it's been 22 years because they haven't had a lot of glory. And this will be great for them. And, and, in, and from the outside, well, I'm a Phillies fan, so I can't root for the Braves. <laughs> I, I know the Dodgers are the the favorites uh and were expected to go as far as they did but um you know i i them versus the braves it's, it, it's an easy decision it's got to be the dodgers um it, it, the one thing that i will say is i think you know overall in, in both the the series between the yankees and the rays and, and the overall um championship series the mlb got what it wanted i, I think after a particularly chaotic wild card round um, where it was really anybody's game and there were a lot of results that you might not have expected based on the regular season um you know a you got a, a great series between the the rays and the yankees i know it wasn't so good for ian but um, well i'm sure mlb
0: would love to have the yankees and <laughs> in the uh, championship series a lot higher ratings yeah, yeah
2: they would but you know I, I still think that they got the most out of the uh The division series between them, and you know, they they still overall they they sort of balanced out the um, the the unpredictability of the previous round. You're getting what most people would have considered the the top four teams, um, you know, save for maybe the Astros in the championship series. So I I think there's still a saving grace there, and as much as they would want the Yankees here, I I still think there's a good storyline behind the Rays, you know, being such historic underdogs finally. they may Maybe taking a chance this season. Yeah,
0: I,
3: Tosh- a, oh, I yeah, guess. A quick, uh, I guess I didn't give my opinion on the yeah. CS. Um, I'll g- do it quickly. AL. Uh, I hope they both lose, but I guess if you have to pick one, the Rays. I don't know that they were historic underdog. I mean, they were the number one seed, but I guess <laughs> you know the Yankees are always kind of the favorite. Um, and the NL, you know, I think I'm probably rooting for the Dodgers. I, you know, they've gotten close to the last few years. Um, another storied franchise and you know haven't won it since what year 80 something 86 no not 86 85 i, uh, 85, I think i think
2: Mets
3: are 86 right uh, yeah that's 86 you know vin scully joined twitter he's a likable character at what ripe old age of 92 or so yeah, i thought it was uh, 88
1: but maybe not wait oh, maybe it was 88 you're right yeah, I that think might be right the anyway the late
3: 80s um, and yeah so i will I, I, I hope the the dodgers uh, end up taking all Yeah, um, as a
0: hardcore baseball fan, I I think all the teams that are left in it offer some sort of intrigue. I think if you're Major League Baseball, you have to hope that either the Astros or the Dodgers make it, Uh, maybe both. I think you need at least one villain in the World Series, I think if you have the Rays and the Braves, they're both likable teams. Which is teams. looking likely, right? You, they're both yeah. Braves just teams. Won, I don't, by the way to
1: update. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't think
0: the ratings would do well for for Rays Braves. Bra- uh, Rays versus Braves. Um, I will say one intriguing matchup if we do get Tampa Bay versus the Dodgers, it would actually be a matchup of the. Two cities with the most recent championships Of course LA with the Lakers And Tampa Bay with the Lightning oh, So they would be yeah. So so those two cities would be fighting for a Second um, 2020 championship so I think that would add some Intrigue
1: and Andrew Friedman I believe Was the he was the GM of the Rays before yep. he became president of the Dodgers so there's yeah. that too.
0: And then Tampa LA are, are the complete opposites As far as uh, you know markets So that, that could be interesting all right, so uh, we've reached the end of the show. We'll do quick final thoughts. We'll start with Mike Mandel. Take it away.
2: So I'll talk a little positive on the Eagles. Uh, you know, given that it hasn't been the uh, the greatest season for them to this point, because you know what? What I'll say is when you know when the veterans like Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey and uh, Jason Peters when when and if they do come back, I hope they play with seventy percent the hustle that. The, the, these practice squad and rookie guys are playing with. I mean, Tra- Travis Fulgham, he came out of nowhere. I think he was like dropped from three different teams in in his first two years. Was a six round pick. He's been a monster for us. He's our he's our leading receiver this season, and, and uh, particularly in the last game, like he almost won us the game. And then Greg Ward, who who I think we promoted from the practice squad last season, you know, he he's solid and steady. It, I'd say he was the, the number one. Um, now he's probably the number two, with and uh, you know, with Fulgham being the one. And li- listen, uh, Jordan Melada is holding up at the left tackle position. I don't think any of us expected that. We we basically lost two tackles there. We lost Dillard, and and then Peters was moved from guard back to tackle, and and he's out. And Melata's holding the line pretty well. So you know, if, if we do get these veteran guys back and they play with almost as much poise as the uh, the so-called replacements, then we might see things turn around. Um, But what I know is I'm having a lot of fun right now, and I think a lot of Eagles fans are too, the the last couple of games we've seen.
1: While, Yeah, so as usual, I have two final thoughts. They'll be quick. First one is... White Sox fired Rick Renderia and Don Cooper. I should say mutual parting of ways. Don Cooper was the pitching coach since 2002. The White Sox did something that I don't think will ever be duplicated. In 2005, their starters had four complete games in a row as they beat the Angels, advanced to the World Series. That team went 11-1 and in the postseason. So Don Cooper, 18 years as pitching coach, or 19 seasons, I should say. Amazing career. Love you. Good luck. And, uh... Thank you for being a pitching coach. Second, Corey Crawford, my man, should be in the Hall of Fame. The Blackhawks didn't re-sign him. Two cups, amazing career. Love Corey Crawford as well. So two fixtures on Chicago championship teams, Don Cooper and Corey Crawford, both leaving this week. But it was sweet to see them win and wishing them both the best of luck. Crawford's a devil now, Ian, so you'll you'll see him a lot. But, um, yeah, so... That was my two final thoughts.
3: All right. I will go next. Um, I was going to bring up the NHL draft. A, uh, a source of pride for uh, Ranger fans and and I guess for, for my sports teams with the Yankees being eliminated. Um, it was great to see the Rangers lucking out, getting that first pick. Um, Alexi Lafreniere, so I think you say his name. He seems to be one of the top prospects at least in the last couple years i i know he looked up to Sidney crosby and everything i've heard he's gonna you know be a a top line player i know they had the second pick last year with kako who his first year i think was pretty underwhelming um but the future seems to be bright i mean they have a lot of good picks a lot of prospects obviously um, with henrik lundquist now moving on i don't think we talked about that officially but Going down to Washington, it's going to be strange to see him in a Capitals jersey, but it is kind of a new era officially of of Rangers hockey. And, um, you know, I think there's been a little bit of transition the last couple of years, and hopefully in the next year or two we'll see them get back to being a consistent playoff team and a, a team, uh, you know, that threatens to go to go deep into the playoffs too. So just wanted to mention the, the bright future, hopefully sooner rather than later, for the New York Rangers. And speaking of bright futures, my final thought is Mets
0: related. Uh, Their prospective new owner, Steve Cohen, uh, it's been announced that he is going to be paying um, all their seasonal employees who were impacted by COVID. So food service workers, janitors, security guards, he's going to pay all of them $2,500 between November and opening day to help uh, help them offset some of the financial struggles that they've been going through. Uh, He's also said that... He's going to beef up their analytics department. I believe the Mets have the smallest department at and six people. He's planning to raise that around 20 people.
1: And on top of all that, Cohen has already planned to lose
0: $400 million over the course of the next two years. But he's still going to spend, invest in the team, and building for the future. So as a Mets fan, I mean, how can you not love that? It's just a complete night and day between uh, ownership now and what it was before. So... Uh, that's going to do it for another edition of the sports cafe from Ian Gus, Mike Mandel, Mike Weil. I'm Adam Rosen. Peace. I'm out of here.